Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Graves, ex-Scotland international and adopted Frenchman, Johnny Beattie, and a very special guest who we'll bring on in just a few minutes as well. We are going to have a chat about all things top 14 first, though, and then look ahead to how the French sides might fare against the best that the URC and Premiership has to offer in the Champions Cup later on. You were in Paris at the weekend, though, Johnny, for Stade Francais' win over La Rochelle. Have you had a good week? Yeah, very good. Not enjoying COVID announcements and that coming back into our world. I don't think anybody will be. We're supposed to be heading home in about a week's time. So just want to make sure that everyone gets home, is safe, and that Christmas isn't fucked by COVID again. Um, And I think that's the same for everybody. So looking forward to getting home. But no, it's been a good week. I enjoyed getting up and doing the Premier Sports games. It was good fun. Some actually quality rugby, which is enjoyable. And yeah, now just looking forward to some downtime and a break. I want to ask you, Tim, how was Centre Parks? We had a few messages in between and it didn't sound too enjoyable sounded a little bit hectic and a little bit stressful so how was your week more importantly i think it was enjoyable for one of us which one of you <laughs> not me <laughs> so your missus enjoyed it you and the kid both hated it but your missus was loving life that's all that matters <laughs> she loved the soft play and the vomit yeah absolutely loved it <laughs> and speaking of having a good time or a bad time benji's not with us this week but is he having a good time or a bad time in Dubai? We've had a few messages. I think he's having a mixed time. I think he'll be, well, mate, I think he'll be enjoying some sun. Let's be honest. It is grim, both here in the south of France and in the UK. It's grisly. Uh, I think he played a little bit. He can fill us in properly next week. I think he threw a ball around a little bit. I think it's been a couple of days of fun and party. He's also combining a bit of work and pleasure. So he'll be working a little bit out there too, but I think we'll get the proper lowdown next week when he's back with us. Um, but yeah, a little bit jealous. Seeing on social media and seeing him in that sunshine, I'm a little bit jealous. I'm not going to lie. He is back next week. Hopefully in one piece. In one piece, <laughs> exactly. It's the important bit. And on to actual serious rugby, let's have a quick chat about the top 14 because we had Santi Cordero on last week um, yep. and his Bordeaux are going to be number one at Christmas after they beat Toulouse. So did they get it? tactically spot on or, or what do they do differently to previous years when they've lost to Toulouse? It wouldn't be the first time they are first at Christmas. To see the COVID season they finished, they were first, they were the winter champions. Christoph Virelis absolutely hated that tag because the season then went to crap afterwards, but they were great. And looks a monkey off their back because that was, we talked about it last week with Santi, but I thought it was three or four games they'd lost consecutively. That was, it was the, they'd lost five. So that was a real big statement win for them to beat the team that everybody has looked to beat both in European and in French rugby over the past couple of seasons. Some of the performances, again, Cameron Walkie continued from his performance and the level he was at against the All Blacks. He was superb. Yes, Toulouse were missing a couple of key elements, but They'll take massive confidence. They can go to Toulouse next time they play, know they're beatable. Uh, It's looked like mission impossible for the past two seasons for them. But now having that win mentally is huge for them. And we talked about, you know, quarterfinals, semifinals, rugby further down the line. It's a huge win. And Louis Picamol retiring at the end of the season, but he had a big game, didn't he? And did they target Antoine Dupont? (laughs) I think he was on a one-man mission. 
to shackle um, Antoine Dupont. And yeah, he's retiring King Louis, who for me is probably the best eight that I played against um, in France. Like huge rugby player, massive, massive bloke and a really nice boy too. But again, it was almost like a one-man mission to destroy Antoine Dupont. He just sat behind every ruck. Every time Antoine picked the ball up, looked to run, looked for support, he'd get smashed, man and ball by, uh, by King Louis. So again, shows he's human, shows he can have average to normal games like the rest of us. Um, even on good days, it'd be a, an average to, to best day for me. Um, but again, a, a great performance generally, more team complete performance again by Bordeaux, which is classic Christophe Urias. No real superstars, but just grind out. And, and yes, Cameron Walkie and Louis Picamo within that were, were, were superb defensively. And in the game you covered, a huge win for Stade Francais over La Rochelle. Massive. The game turned just before halftime, didn't it? Stade Francais were absolutely dreadful. Um, and it's quite hard when you're sitting in comms to analyse live what is happening, but they just they weren't at the races. And, and La Rochelle were utterly dominant in pretty much in every single facet of the game. A huge turnaround just before halftime. There were 20 points to six down at halftime. And you thought this, I thought this was going to be a bonus point win for La Rochelle. And it looked like a humiliation um, for Stade Francais. Uh, and the sort of manner of the performances they've had they were close last week but they lost to Buritz which again is a, a relegation dogfight but that win again puts some serious serious or relieves some serious pressure um, on the coach's shoulders because they, they were not playing well and they didn't particularly play well to win that game La Rochelle I would say imploded the scrum imploded every time they went to scrum it was penalty and, and field position and, and easy ball for, for Stade Francais and La Rochelle could have won it they could have still won it after playing badly the last play of the game, they knocked the ball over the try line. It was Bully Rua Rua after a charge down. Could have won it for them at the death. So, look, it was a scrappy game. It was roller coaster stuff. It was end to end, and you couldn't really see what was going to happen. But so important for Stade Francais. Um, now, with the sort of winter break, going away to European rugby, which they may or may not take seriously, we'll, we'll wait and see what team they stick out. But that win is huge, and it gives a little bit of breadth of air, a little bit of gap between them, Breve, Poe, Beeritz and Perpignan, who all had uh, losses at the weekend. So massive for them, absolutely huge. Well, we'll look ahead to all the Champions Cup action a bit later on, but it's about time we got our guest on now. And it's a big one this week. One of the men who's been instrumental in the resurgence of French rugby on the international scene recently, France assistant coach, Sean Edwards joins us. How are you, Sean? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Yourself? We're good. Um, you've had a bit of time to digest that win over New Zealand a couple of weeks ago so looking back on it the performance the atmosphere everything around it where does that rank in terms of the list of sort of special days you've been involved in as a coach it was a day where a lot of things went right for us the preparation was vital we had two weeks before the first game against Argentina we had a few errors you know against Argentina we got a charge down you know we gave a soft try away at the end with the losing an aerial battle so it was it was really good preparation because we had two virtually, I'm not being dis, disrespectful because Argentina in particular was a, was a very, very brutal, tough, tough game. And then Georgia. But during the match, I never thought we were going to lose with a view to obviously peak in the third game, which we did do against New Zealand. And you need a lot of things to go right for you. You need your best players available. There's no doubt about that. You need good preparation, which I think we did have. And you need to be peaking at the right time. And I thought we peaked for the third game, definitely. Arguably, you didn't look like you were ever in a position to lose that game against New Zealand either. It was completely dominant. And you'd managed to beat New Zealand as a player yourself, but that was your first time as a coach. So that must have been a special moment for you as well. Yeah, it was It was beginning to uh, uh, get on my nerves. Let, let's let's <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, yeah, I did have a, a successful career against... I played nine times against New Zealand. 
only, only lost one game. It's not bad. Obviously against the All Blacks. Um, it's, like I say, you have to have so many things go right for you. And uh, we did. We did. You know, a lot of the lads were rested in the summer and the Australian tour, which, you know, we I think we performed you know, really well, really, saying the number of players, you know, first choice players were missing. A lot of those lads, you know, I'm not saying they, they, they orders, but they it, there was a reason that they didn't go on the tour. We wanted them peaking in the autumn um, for a big game. And obviously, that one was was New Zealand, and uh, they certainly did it, and they didn't let us down. Some lads who went on tour, like Cameron Wockey, he was, you know, sensational. He played fantastic. And the All Blacks set all sorts of records this calendar year for points and tries and being in charge of the defence without giving all the secrets away. Was there anything you spotted that, that you focused on in particular? There's a million things you can, you can focus on um, against the All Blacks. But it's my job to then try to simplify it down to something that the guys can remember during the game. And, and that's why I always try to do I try to try to make it as simple as possible. Actually, I thought after half-time, we lost our kicking game. We tried to overcomplicate it a little bit. And it's something we need to, in future, continue doing what's working for you. One of the things that did work in that game was the defensive performance generally, like the line speed, the intensity, the rush, the ability to get off the line and force the best players in the world to be under serious pressure was huge. How impressed were you by the defensive effort that we saw repeated? We talk about the high intensity work that you're going through, the level and the standards that you you try and get out of these players and out of this group. How impressed were you by defensive performance in general? Well, I was obviously impressed the first half because they didn't score a try. You know, when you've got Gail Ficker and Joe Dante in the centres, it's not an easy place to make yardage against those those kind of, of players. The size, the power, the aggressiveness that they bring, the controlled aggressiveness. I think also the fact that we had four back rowers with Cameron playing second row. He's a, he's a second row stroke back row now. Um, that definitely helped us with, with, with the um, the mobility you got you, you know you need mobile mobile players to play um, at that level at that speed and um, you know with having four back rows it was definitely helped for the defence. A one man you mentioned there was Jonathan Dante. Yeah, and we saw the sort of combination of Matthew Jalibert and Intermac playing 10-12 together. Was was it always the plan to bring in Jonathan Dante or a more physical centre for the third test against the All Blacks, or was it a, a case of suck it and see? Well, we. You know, I mean, there's been a, a lot of teams who've played with two tens. You know, England have played, have been quite successful with Ford and Farrell. Um, I'm playing with one centre, one out and out centre. Um, I think it's something we, we had to try, play, you know, playing with those two very talented uh, tens on the pitch at the same time. But I, 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 I also think against some teams, you do need those two big, two big physical centres and playing with one ten and two centres is the option to do against certain teams. As you know yourself, each team has a different different sort of strategy and way of playing, um, particularly at international level because you're coming from different parts of the world. Definitely against New Zealand, the two centres on 110 would be the way to go. And, and they, all the other coaches thought that, but, you know, at, at that time. And the selection you mentioned that went very right was Cameron Wockey in the second row. Is he going to be considered more of a second row now or is he still both? Yeah, I think he's both, you know. The old adage of, a, of an open side and a, and a, a blind side and a, a genuine number eight, I don't think it's really as distinctive now as potentially it was in, in, in yesteryear, particularly at the scrums because nines don't really put pressure on eights at scrums anymore, except in certain situations. And so, 
it's not as pressurised a position for a number eight to pick the ball up and be able to run with it. So it's um, it's not quite as specialised. Personally, I think it's more like back row. Or, or even now, you're thinking about back five and front, and front row, whereas it was obviously tight five and back row. So maybe slowly it's changing to back five. How do you find the move generally, Sean? Because obviously you had such great work with the Welsh side and with the British and Irish lines, you had that four and a half year contract offer, which is huge for security for yourself and for the family as well. It's a massive opportunity. But France would have seen by a lot of people as, as left field and a bit of a strange choice. How are you enjoying more generally settling in France, the country, the people? I know you've moved down to the Catalan region, close to the Catalan Dragons. You still get a league fix and there'll be a good yeah. social action as well down there too. But how have you found the move generally? You enjoying life in France? You don't see many soccer balls down here, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> you see the kids running around with rugby balls, and uh, yeah, having there's no doubt having um, having the dragons, who uh, I, I know some of the staff and and some of the players like Sam Tonkins, etc. So that was a help also for my for, for my family, for my partner and uh, two children. To um, we all go to the matches. We started to go to USAP as well now. So yeah, it's a it's a real rugby sort of real buzz about rugby in this area at the moment, and um, it's nice to be part of it. It's difficult to move house in the UK within within the UK, but to obviously to do it and move to another country, I'd say it's even more difficult, you know, because of you know, language etc. Uh, but it's a, it's a great challenge to take on, and. Um, and certainly, you know, with, when you have victories like, like we did against New Zealand, it, that makes it all the effort, effort worthwhile. And I thought it was an incredibly shrewd choice by Fabian because Fabian was my coach at Montpellier. And at the time we were there, we he loved, all they wanted to talk about was rush defence, blitz defence, wasps defence from your time there with Gatland. And I thought it was a really shrewd move. So how did that, like, again, how did it come about? How did that, did you get a phone call from Fabian in Pigeon English or, or how did it work? Yeah, I've always fancied uh, going to France. And <clears throat> when I was with Wasps, when I was Wasp, with Wales, I was supposed to go part-time to Toulon in an exchange for Paul Stridgen to him to come to Wales. And anyway, the, the Welsh Rugby Union said I couldn't do it. So that fell through. So I was, obviously I was a little bit disappointed about that. But I do know that was played against uh, a Fabian when Fabian was a captain of uh, Stade Francais mm-hmm. and he played against us in uh, in what was the uh, was the Challenge Cup believe it or not that both teams actually won the relative uh, competition and they were playing in the Challenge Cup they won the French Championship and we won the English Premiership against Gloucester in the first time there was playoffs anyway I remember <clears throat> it was in January and we, we played against them and uh, I don't think they'd ever seen that style of defence before because certainly, you know, it was relatively new to the game, wasn't it, at that time? And uh, I think he kind of remembered, you know, what it was like to play against when done correctly. And uh, luckily that day we defended pretty good. You know, I remember Kenny Logan, I think he got one interception, maybe he may, may even got two. He'll tell you three. <laughs> we defended pretty well and I think maybe that's stuck in his mind how well it was to break down, you know, when, when, when things are going well for the defence. And there's a lot of stereotypes around French rugby. Did you have any preconceived ideas before you went over there? And have they changed your mind in any way? Not really, because I knew that Fabian was in, had been involved at the World Cup and also uh, the uh, fitness guy, uh, he'd, he'd been involved. And I saw them warming up before the quarterfinal against, uh, <clears throat> against Wales. And I remember looking over and saying to Gats, Gats, look at these forwards of theirs warming up. 
I think we might be in a bit of trouble here because I've never seen the French team warm up like that before, getting off floor, sprinting 10 yards, getting up, going backwards, doing all the, you know, all really, really superb drills. Anyway, after about 15 minutes, we're losing by about 14 points and, I th and, and my thoughts were uh, very, very much uh, sort of guaranteed. But since, since I knew Fabian was involved and, and they, they had a new fitness guy coming in, I did think it would be a lot more, a lot more like I'm used to organised. I'm not saying it was like that before because I wasn't there, so I never commented. Some I'm not, um, and also the fact that uh, after the World Cup quarterfinal, I went up to Fabian and, and said that you know I think the best team lost today. We we got two tries from from our defence actually, um, which turned the game, and um, a few scrum penalties helped us at the end. And I did say that I thought the best team lost today, mate. And I started a bit of a chat with him and he, he said that they incorporated a very, very similar defensive system to what we've been doing with Wales because he was the defence coach actually in the World Cup for, for, for France. So that helped me a lot by the time I got here because I wasn't bringing something in which was totally new. And with players like Gail Ficker, as you said, they're very, very well coached as well at places like Toulouse and around... around you know, La Rochelle, they've got great coaches and, and, and a lot of them. And you mentioned the fitness side of things. We we had Thibaut Giroud on the show, didn't we, Johnny? It was fascinating. Yeah. So Amazing. How big an impact has he had? You've got to remember, I've only been in two two-week training camps, like before matches, and then you have matches and then obviously the, the training sort of changes a little bit then. Uh, but I think, I definitely think that, you know, the fitness guys, you know, around the world, you know, the best ones, Paul Stridgen, you know, who, who's fantastic, been so successful, you know, with Wales and not everywhere he's been, really. You know, Craig White was a guy who I used to work with with a, a Wasp. Those guys really, I think, in the World Cup years, because they actually get them for three months to prepare them physically. Um, that's when, um, you know, obviously, they can really show the metal how good they are. Because, you know, anybody can train someone hard, but it's getting them to peak at the right time. And um, that, that that's a... That's a great gift that these top, top, top people like Paul Stridgen and, and Thibaut, that's, that's, what, that's what they have. And they do. They absolutely are more organised physically than they ever have been. And when you see, like you mentioned, when you're sitting down and you see the size and the power and the sheer physique that a lot of these French boys have and the natural ability and the depth of player pool, was it a case for you sitting back when that offer came in thinking we could actually go in championships? It would have been a massive opportunity to go and help organise this French side, which wasn't organised for a few years, if we're honest. But now the fact they're organised, they're set up properly to play, you defend properly and you attack with structure and with potency, it must be incredibly exciting to be part of and be involved. Well, I can't agree with all them words because I wasn't there before. So it's not, I, I, like I said, I don't know. Um, you can say it, but I, I would never say anything like that. But um, all I can say is um, I'm part of a professional, very professional outfit who... I've missed out on winning things a couple of times and it's we're, we're all very, very keen to get over what is sometimes the hardest steps, which is those last few steps to actually win a major trophy. And for, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere, the only major trophy is the Six Nations, obviously. You know, we're, we're pretty determined uh, going into this competition that, you know, we have to get it right for, for five games. You know, it's a bit different challenge to what we did in the autumn because... As I said, you know, Argentina was a tough game and so was Georgia, but we were always really aiming to peak for that third game. With Six Nations, you've got to peak for every game because a lot of Six Nations competition, the last two, I don't think there's been a Grand Slam winner, hasn't there? 
Um, so points difference can become so, so vital. So you have to be really on your metal for every game. You know, the, the, the sloppy tries we gave away, you know, getting charged down from a, from a 22 restart, it's just like unheard of. You know, all that has to, you know, has to be put behind us. We have to be methodical in the way we exit our area and use our flair and attacking ability, etc. when we have that field position. And there's a couple of months still to go to the Six Nations, but France are favourites with the bookies. And obviously the media and fans often get ahead of themselves and talk about France's potential World Cup winners. But you mentioned it there in terms of winning things and that final hurdle. France not winning the Six Nations since 2010. Is that something that you almost talk about, that that hurdle? And, and how important is it? It's our next step in our development, isn't it? You know, we have, we have to, you know, we've, I think we've shown we're a serious rugby team now. You know, I think we've got respect from the other rugby nations. But no, you want to go to the, to the next level, where is um, obviously is to is to actually win that trophy. And um, to do that, you know, you have to. Have, we have to have a French French attacking, you know, uh, razzmatazz that 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 we have, our offloads and etc. But also be backed up with a strong defence, great set piece. And a very good kicking game, and that, that's one thing I do think has improved the most in French rugby. And I think that's one of the reasons there was four. You know, partly was one of the reasons there was four uh, French semi-finalists last year. I think they've incorporated better kicking games now. They understand now that you know at times we have to kick the ball. It's a lot easier to kick the ball fifty meters up the pitch than to run it fifty meters. Amount of energy which is which is exceeded it if you go through ten phases, because it, it's sometimes it's harder to attack than it is to defence as re, as regards, you know, energy and um, taxation on your body, etc. So having a good structured kicking game, which teams like Saracens, teams like Leinster have had for many many years, and been pulling in European cups after European cups after European cups, and you, it was great to see Toulouse. You know, obviously in the final, and obviously they used an intelligent kicking game as well. The game's played at three levels now: on the floor, here, and above your head. In Dublin, when we would beat Ireland recently, who turned the last ball turnover over? Number okay. nine. Number nine. Yeah. So it shows that to have a constructive kicking game, not not just kick all the time, but kick intelligently, is is vital part of your game. It is. And how much have you enjoyed working with those other coaches? So I mentioned Fabian, my old coach from Montpellier. He's the best attack coach I ever got the chance to work with. I absolutely love being coached by him at Montpellier. How, how are you finding the role and, and the, the dynamic with a coaching group? You've got Lola B, you've got you've got a, a bunch of great coaches there, but how does it work behind the scenes? Is it enjoyable? Yeah, it is. Yeah. The, um, you know, we like having a little social together every now and again, when, at the right time when all the hard work's done, we'll have a glass of wine and what have you. I think there's a, a good balance you know, between hard work, which, you know, you have to have hard work. I mean, everyone says you have to work hard, but you also have to have some fun as well, you know. You're in training camp together, you know, for six nations for nearly two months. So, you know, there has to be fun and other activities around uh, around rugby and, and you have to enjoy each other's company. And uh, I, think was, I think we do that with the French team. And one of the other... Members of the backroom staff, Raphael Ibanez, obviously you know very well from your time at Wasps. He maybe doesn't get the attention as much. Give us an insight into what he does and, and how important he is as well. He's loved by the French public, you know. Absolutely loved and adored by the French public. And um, he's a great figurehead for us. I presume like uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, uh, in his later years, probably didn't do that much coaching on the pitch. 
but he was a great figurehead for the club, wasn't he? You know, and um, you know, he was great with the media, put in the principles of the club and stuff like that. And Raf's a little bit like that, in that um, you know, we, we had this thing where the crowd de V, it's about the life and the presentations they do about healthy eating and all this kind of stuff, um, which is obviously vital for, for, for modern day players. So yeah, he's like that. Is is rough? He's um, he's and he, and he's very very good at it. He's, and he's getting even he's getting better all the time because you know I've got to remember he he was new into that sort of role as well. He he came into having been a coach really at um, uh, Bordeaux and then coming into that role and he's definitely um, definitely growing into it. There's no doubt about that. He's a really good talker. He's a great presenter as well. And you're famously, well, you're very famous, Sean, for your, your messages and the way you get your messages across short meetings. Everyone that I've met that's been coached by, you said it's an absolute game changer <laughs> for meetings and how short they are, but the message gets across. So how are you finding delivering those messages in French for these French boys? Is it quite easy now? Like you've been in two years in the gig in the job? I did it in French from, from, the, from the beginning, which I don't think people thought I was going to do. Um, you know, I wanted to let them know I was serious about this job um, and it wasn't easy if I'm honest I've had a lot of French lessons and a lot of help from some very very good French French teachers as well um, but you know learning a language when you're you know when you're sort of middle aged in, in, uh, is not easy as everyone knows it's much better to do it uh, as a youngster but now as I said I did from my first from, from my first uh, presentation I did it in French and maybe the, the players were thinking not very long. It must be because he, he's, he's speaking in French. He doesn't... He's run out of words. He's run out of words. And I'm like, no, that was actually longer than when I, when I do it in English. I do it even shorter than that in English. Short and short. That's, that's, that's my uh, motto. I love it. You must also be getting French from your kids because you've got two young daughters that are yeah. school age. So they must be coming back and teaching you things as well. We, like we got Our kids come back and they're telling us autumn songs in French. We've got no idea what they're saying. It's amazing. Yeah. And they love it. But it must be the same for you because the kids must be coming back and they'll be teaching you French as well. Well, the six-year-old, they're definitely, well, she's just turned seven, actually. She, she speaks French and, and she corrects us when, we, when we're trying when we trying to say something, we're pronouncing it wrong and et cetera. But my three-year-old, she, uh, we're convinced that she, 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 she can speak French and she does it at school. But when she comes home, she just, um, she kind of refuses to speak it at the moment. But I'm pretty sure she'll, She'll be um, she'll be okay in a bit, but for me, because you've got to remember, it's just like the UK, different different accents from up north, accents from down south, Catalonian accents and all that. So for me, at the moment, the hardest thing is to listen in French. Écouter, which is to listen, is I, I do find it difficult. But I've spoken to a few people, and, and everyone seems to think the same thing. Speaking not too bad, but I mean to win rugby games anyway, not to not to give big long. Uh, speeches or anything like that I made him win rugby games and his name's come up a couple of times already Gail Fiku you made him defensive captain early on Sean um, so what did you see in him that made you choose him for that and, and how good has he been well I, f- I followed his career funny enough um, it was back in 2012 after we won a Grand Slam with Wales I went with the under 19s to um, just to help out with the coaching it was kind of part of my contract which and we went to Madrid and there was, there was the European Championships, or maybe Worlds, I can't remember. I think it was European. And uh, I saw this girl, Fika, who was captain in France. I was like, wow, this kid's going to be playing for France. Never mind, under-19s. Under-18s, maybe. Under-18s, I think it was. 
because he played for France soon. And then six months later, he played, I think it was against Australia or something. It was in Toulouse anyway. And they won a really, really physical, tough test match game did France. So I kind of followed his career. And then I knew how good he was. Um, a few people said he, you know, maybe his off-field stuff was, but, but I don't care about that. It doesn't mean that. Once they turn up for training, they train hard. So what, they might want to go out and have a few drinks. So what? I mean, as long as the body's in good condition, who cares? You know, as long as they're not getting in trouble and abusing people and being rude or whatever. I don't care. I, I really don't care about stuff like that. As long as they're in shape. Not in shape. It's different. Totally different. But a guy like him is in shape. So have a good time. Because you got you have to remember how young these players are. It's all right for me speaking as a you know middle-aged guy now. I didn't think like that like I do now when I was 22, 23, 24. I thought totally different. And you have to remember that. And you have to you have to connect with that, you know, as a coach. And uh, I said I wanted him, and obviously he, he, you know he did he, he did he's done very well so far. And he's took he's took the job with uh, great seriousness. And um, yeah, a few people have said that uh, there's been a marked change as well for, for him and for his leadership role. So but I always knew he could do it, but you know he just had to uh, give him the opportunity. You've talked a lot previously, and I've heard you speak about people that are coachable and their, their desire to get better and improve. And that's one thing, like I managed to ca- catch up with Antoine and Greg Aldra after the game, caught up with you just before the game really briefly, but... There's something that comes across as how level-headed, natural, that must be something as well that you see come across as a coach and you must get that feel from this playing group too. Yeah, and, um, you know, even the even the best of the best, you can always get a little bit better, can't you? And uh, someone, you know, who's a fantastic attacking player, you know, you don't get given everything, do you? You know, you, you have to you have to be not so great at something and and then you need help to, 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 to improve that part of your game and, you know, um, I've been lucky enough to coach some amazing players over the years and a lot of them, well, not a lot of them, virtually every one of them, they have one common trait. They're desperate to get better. That's the big trait that you have from from, from the top line players and um, the, the, the French lads are, are no different. Johnny mentioned Antoine Dupont there. Obviously, he gets the headlines for his attacking work. You mentioned the turnover he won against Ireland. I assume you've seen a, a big improvement in his defensive game over the last couple of years. Well, he does a role for us, which um, is, is not eye-catching. I'm not telling you what it is, but um, if, you, if you watch our defence, you, you'll pick it up. Um, it's not eye-catching, but what it does do, it, it, it saves his legs for when we do get the ball. And, um, you know, you want, personally, I've always wanted the number nines who, who I've coached. I've coached some great nines, Rob Early, Matt Dawson, you know, Owen Redding, Mike Phillips. Fantastic, fantastic players. The one thing I always wanted to do is, you know, I was a halfback myself. As a halfback, you generally judge on your attack, and you? let's be honest, you know, your main part of your game is your attack. So you need to be fresh. And you know, having played rugby league, where you reg- regularly make twenty-five tackles as a as a as a scrum half, you know, because you're defending, um, in the, obviously, and then you're being targeted. And the more tackles you make, the more fatigue you get, you know, for when you do get the ball. And obviously, it's probably not to that level in Union uh, where you can target certain players because um, it's not quite as um, it's not as easy to do it in, in Union. But I always wanted Minans to be fresh when they get the ball. And so that's why 
Antoine, uh, he defends in a way which um, is absolutely vital for the defence, but it's not quite as eye-catching as what he does with the ball in hand. See, I thought some of the way he defended against the All Blacks was eye-catching. The way he caught Iwani at 13 repeatedly. So part of your defensive line, a lot of teams now, it's when you're in your 22, your nine fits into your defensive line. Antoine was that little bit further up the field for you guys. I thought he was superb. The way he just, again, it's the way he reads the game. He's such a smart rugby player and the way he times it as well within your system. But I thought he was... Well, that's short side, wouldn't he? And that's his, that's his responsibility. So I've, I've, let, I've let out to see that he controls our short side. So he was superb. He's in charge of that. And like I say, as a tackler, he's an absolutely ferocious tackler. He's <laughs> so, so strong and powerful. He, you know, as I said, I've, I've caught some incredible um, number nines in my time. I'm very lucky to do that. You know, Gareth Davis was an incredible defensive player, probably the best defensive player I've coached, as well as all them other great names that I said before. But Antoine would be probably the best athlete as an athlete. He's so strong and so powerful and fast. And he gets a bit frustrated because, you know, he wants to be in the middle, tackling forwards all the time. But I have a thing, forwards against forwards, and backs against backs when, whenever possible. And that, that's what that's how we try to defend. I assume it's probably not putting you on the spot too much to say that he'd get your vote for World Player of the Year this year. Well, they won the double of Toulouse. As regards World Player of the Year awards and stuff like that, I'm not massively into things like that, me, to be honest. I'm, I'm more of a best team, you know what I mean? The best team of the year and stuff like that. There's no doubt that rugby is a very, very much a team game. I learned that when I was about 15, 16. <laughs> rugby league and rugby union, you rely on your teammates. <laughs> That's where you've got to be tight and together. The team is the most important, but just one one more individual, because Benji's not here this week, but he has chipped in. And um, a man he talks about quite a lot is Damien Penno. And he often compares him to Johnny May's reputation in England as a bit of a wild card. So he's an interesting character. What, what is he like to coach, Damien Penno? Well, it's great to coach, because you know, I don't actually coach him too much, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes I look at the positions he gets himself in and, and I'm thinking, oh, Damien, what are you doing? <laughs> then he ends, he ends up doing the right thing. So sometimes uh, as a coach, you have to realise that sometimes you've just got pure talent and, uh, you know, for some reason he ends up like eight, nine times out of ten doing the correct thing, even though it probably wouldn't be the way you would strictly coach it. But it's all about the end result in the end, isn't it? And uh, Damien... As I said, you know, the, the interception he got was vital against New Zealand. What he, he was faced with like a, a 5v1 situation. And he, just, he just went for it. And, um, you know, obviously it was a great try for the for, for our team, but a great try, uh, try for the def- defence as well. Because, because obviously, you know, it was interception. And he is fun to be around as well. He's very fun to be on, a, on and off the pitch. He's uh, great fun to be around. Sometimes, you know... We might have team meetings and Damien didn't train well today. I'm like, come on, lads. It's all about Saturday, you know what I mean? I've caught some players and they're not great trainers, but they're pretty good on Saturday. That's the main, that's the day that you have to be good, you know. And uh, like I said, you know, I have caught some players throughout the years and I'm playing with some players. They're not the best trainers in the world, but it's, it's all about what you do uh, in that 80 minutes, isn't it, really? And more broadly in the game at the moment, I think I've, you'd said recently about the number of red cards that we're seeing and it'd be helpful as a defence coach to sort of get some clarity from referees or world world rugby to say where the target area is in terms of the 
the tackle. Where do you think we're at at the moment as a sport? Where is the target area? Johnny, take it. Well, someone latched on, latched on to him. Actually, it was double lats last season because there's no doubt the rules they have brought in have definitely helped the game, I think, to even it out a little bit uh, against so many pick-and-go tries. We're still having pick-and-go tries, which, you know, is, is, is good. It's part of the game, obviously. But you do have a chance now to actually stop it. Whereas before, you basically had no chance because you'd have two people latched onto one person and they, did, you know, they didn't score that one, they just did the same again and they go off the feet and seal the ball and bang, you know, straight over the top of it. There was no contest, which is, the, which is the essence of rugby union. It's a contest for the ball. I think the rules they brought in where rugby have helped to make it more of an even contest between attack and defence. But particularly last season, you know, I'm like, where is the target area? Please tell me, someone picking the ball up with his shoulders down, you hit him there, you go anywhere near his head, you're in trouble. You go low, no arms tackle, potential yellow card, okay? Double lax, sailing off, no contest. That is not rugby union. For a while, for a couple of seasons, once you got close to your trial line, there was no contest. There was, it was totally, totally in favour of the attack. But I do think the new rules they brought in have been, have been positive. And it does give the defence a chance. It's still, you know, better for the attack, obviously. And people do come to watch tries. You know, I'm, I'm not silly. They don't come to watch defence, really. You, you come to watch tries. But sometimes I would like to know where the cargo area is and the pick and go. Someone latched on, bent over, with his, leading with his head. Where's the target area? Nobody knows. Everybody, everyone just goes, <laughs> I never thought of that. Yeah, where is the target area? <laughs> Well, it's the same for the players, trust me. They don't know either. I'm surprised you don't know, Johnny, because Sean says people go to watch attack. You go to watch defence and line-outs, don't you? I'm just happy to be watching. That's the, <laughs> just, just watching in general now is, is the best bit. That's the coaching him. That's what it is, you see. No, it's done. He's an anorak, anorak like, a bit like me. If you know of any coaching jobs, Johnny, you're well up for it, aren't you? You say every week how you'd love to be a coach. I could just come be Sean's translator. It'd be short <laughs> meetings. I'd be cheap. you pay me by the hour. I'd do it gladly. Mate, the other question I was going to ask you about was the, the other law changes or rule changes in world rugby, the eligibility ones, which aren't now too dissimilar to the league ones that you'll know really well. People have been able to change um, loyalty to countries and move and chop and change now much more freely. I know that won't have too much effect on the French team, but in broader terms, any of you, do you think it'll be positive, negative for the game? Do you think it'll make it harder for other nations coming up against? Or what do you reckon? I think on a world stage, or you want your big names playing bring the people in to get young kids playing rugby. Not, not on Saturday because they made a mistake and maybe a few years ago, or not a mistake, you know, they played one match for the under-20s or, you know, or a couple of games. Sport is about seeing big personalities on the big occasions. And the more you can get them in, in, into the World Cup or into whatever competition it is, the better for me. Just get the big names playing. People want to come and see big names. You know, let's well, a lot of people, some people really understand rugby, some people don't. You know what I mean? Some people really understand football, but they don't. But everyone understands big names and, and, and get them all box office players, get them back, get them playing. And um, I, I totally agree with it. Plenty of big name box office players in this France side. So I suppose you've been in the job a couple of years. We're halfway through a World Cup cycle, which is obviously... The, as much as winning the Six Nations is very important, people do tend to talk in, in World Cup cycles. So 
where are you at? Are you exactly where you want to be halfway through? There's one person who doesn't, me. <laughs> <laughs> Two years away, a long time. No focus at all on, on that, just the Six Nations? Well, yeah, there is a little bit, obviously, in the build-up towards it. You know, trying playing with two tens in, in, in the first two games was, was an example of that. And it's something I totally agreed with in the selection uh, meetings. And, you know, I don't think people expected me to, to say that because obviously it, it hurt the defence a little bit, having two tens. Um, but, you know, I, I, thought, I thought it was definitely the, the way to do and it was the right time to do it. Um, and as I said, you know, we may go back to it in the future, who knows? But World Cup is, you know, there's only one Northern Hemisphere team ever won it. And, you know, and we all know who that, who that was. And uh, The way the World Cup is, it is a little bit loaded in the favour of the Southern Hemisphere teams because they play at the end of the end of the uh, competition, which normally is when you're at your best playing your rugby. If you've had the proper physical preparation and you're peaking at the right time at the end of the season, which is, you know, what playoff rugby is about, really, you know. Um, so they, they, they have had it. They do have that bit of advantage because obviously you're coming from a summer with Northern Hemisphere team. Now, some people might disagree with me on that and think, well, you're fresher, you know, you're maybe not as many injuries, etc. But I always remember playing, you know, my best rugby at the end of the seasons. And that's something we always prided ourselves on at Wigan anyway. So there is pressure, of course, but I don't want us to do obviously what England did when they played a known thing and bomb out early. I've got to say, I think uh, the group that England was in was an incredibly difficult group and um, it was incredibly difficult and it was by the narrowest of margins. But I don't want to become a, a weight on the players' shoulders. As I said, they're only young lads. You know, they're not stupid. They know what's at stake. You know, it's important to keep the preparation, the tension, the build-up to it fun they have to enjoy the work and uh, it's vital for us people with experience of playing in big games and I've played in a few cup, I've played in a World Cup final in rugby league and lost in the last few minutes it's up to us to use our experience to make sure it doesn't become a burden like you turned pro in 1983 so, so I wanted to ask you like it's been it's been a long slog but you've done some fantastic things with some wonderful rugby teams where does this French journey rank among it all? Because you've done some phenomenal things in our sport, but how much are you enjoying this moment in time? Well, obviously we haven't won a trophy yet, so that's 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 uh, it's been frustrating um, a little bit because you know we've obviously lost a few games in the last in the last minute or two. But what you have to remember as well is that I think Fabian has the best win percentage of any French coach. It's up at seventy five percent. A lot of those losses. Our best team weren't available. We weren't allowed to pick them. So it's, that's a bit of a different experience, even though obviously sometimes with Wales, you know, we couldn't pick our best team for the last game of the autumn because, you know, they were, you know, had to go back to France or back to England to the clubs, etc. What I thought we did well in the autumn was we had consistency of selection, except for the changes where Joe came, came, came um, started instead of being a finisher. Uh, in the first two, two games, Joe Dante. But generally, the team was very similar the way through, and I think that's um, that's a pretty important thing for the for us French lads and uh, going forward. But obviously, that's injuries permitted. So Ben Broster, you know well from your time at Wasps, who speaks really highly of you, and another another player that absolutely loved you. Um, and he said, "Can you give us 
the Andy Powell story from Spala, where he knocked over, what is it he knocked over? Pizza truck. I've heard this one. A pizza truck. Give us your version of that. Were you there? Um, well, I was in Spala. There's no doubt about that, because I used to go on it all the time. And I used, Just for holiday. I, 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 we, we, we'd all go in, 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 in combat mode, because you know we all get off the drink for a week or uh, two weeks or whatever. Sometimes we went for even longer. And uh, th- then we'd have a holiday, you know, uh, when we got back. So everybody wanted to be in rip, rip in shape, you know what I mean? So, like, we'd all lose, like, five kilos, and gats would go on a diet, you know what I mean? We'd all be like that. <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing to do there. And, uh, yeah, but uh, I actually don't remember finally going, but, yeah, it must have been with Wasp. We came to Wasp for one year, and he actually started the season, he started the season off uh, Brilliantly, to be fair to him. So he must have had a good training camp in Spola. However many pizzas he had from that truck, he must have um, must have done the trick. No Andy Powell like characters in this France setup, I assume. Huas, apparently he's the life and he's the centre of every party. Momo Huas, the big tight head prop from Montpellier. He's a good guy, yeah. Always love his company. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a great guy, Momo. He's a character, as you said, you know. And uh, but like you say, you've got to remember how young he is. He's about 26. He's 26 is tight head prop. He's played for France for like two, three years now. Playing tight head prop at 23 for your country is just unbelievable, isn't it? That's the biggest thing. I've, um, we, have, we have this ritual, which is um, to when the team comes up, we have a really tough training session normally on a Wednesday where it's, you know, contact and it's very physical. And then players have a show and then they come in and they put it up on a big screen, you know, 15. We make our final selection, you know, clarify everything, quick meeting. Do you think train well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then it comes up and I'm like, Roman Intermat, 22. Such a body else. What, he's only 23? <laughs> Honestly, I, I thought some of these guys were like 29, 30, 31. I can't believe how young they are, you know. And like David Penno, I think he's about 25. He's been playing for France for like five, six years by now. And uh, Gil Ficker, what is he, 27? Like, he played for France like in 2012. You know what I mean? So sometimes you have to remember how young these guys are. And, uh, and you have to try to communicate in that sort of fashion as well. And we're going to go on to, to have a chat about the start of the Champions Cup in a minute. You've obviously done it all at, at club level in Europe as well. We've mentioned how successful the French sides were last year. Do you think it'd be more of the same? The best victory in my career was um, 2007, Arlington Cup final, Twickenham, working with old Paul Geach as a director of rugby, given absolutely no chance against a, a rampant Leicester team at the time, front of 85,000, and um, yeah, we beat them something like convincingly. That was the best individual game of my career because the coaching staff that we had, they did a great job, particularly our line-out coach, Leon Holden, came up with two really trick plays. We actually, because we didn't have so long to, to prepare, we actually said, right, we're not going to compete at line-out at all. But because they'd scored two tries against Gloucester the week before from Malls, so we've got to stop them all. It's a primary source of, 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 of everything for them. So we stopped that because we didn't compete at line-out at all. Everyone stayed on the floor. They kind of spooked them. They actually, they actually lost two line-outs, believe it or not, because they, they spooked them. And um, then we scored two tries from trick plays at Lano, and it was, that was the most rewarding match of my coaching career. And looking forward to present day and this year's Champions Cup, you obviously have a keen eye on the French sides that are taking part, La Rochelle, Bordeaux, Toulouse, some big teams. What do you reckon their chances are? Do you think it'll be domination? They'll get to quarters and semis fairly easily this year again with the new format, or do you think it's going to be harder? I don't know. I think it'll be harder, obviously. 
So, you know, you always got to respect the respect the opposition. But as I said, you know, I think with the improved kicking games in the French in the French um, top 14 teams, that, that will definitely help them in the Heineken Cup. There's no doubt about that. I also watch these games with, with I mean, obviously we watch the top 14 all the time, but I also watch these games because these are the players that you're going to be playing against. You know, it's you're not playing against French players in, in, in the internationals, you're playing against English players, obviously Irish players, Scottish players, Italian players, etc. So so I watch these games with even more intent. Well, it's great to see you getting on so well in the job, Sean. And um thanks so much for coming on and sharing your insight and good luck in the Six Nations. Thank you. Cheers, Bye-bye. mate. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Proper legend. And a player's coach, I think, if that could sum him up. I think every single player that you speak to that has been Welsh or at Wasps or British and Irish Lions, and now with France, every single player that I've come across, when you talk about coaches, he's at the top of the list. He is the player's favourite coach of all time, as far as I'm concerned, in the professional era. There's not many that are spoken of in any higher regard. So, real treat to have him on, an absolute legend, um, absolutely loves his sport as well, loves his rugby. Um, and yeah, great to see him doing wonderful things with the French team. And honest about the the need for France to win something as well. Yeah. Look, I think he's love- He's obviously loving it. He's loving the experience. And I think sometimes when you finish, you you tend to talk more about the journey and the experience. And the, But right now he's still in the, like, it's, I'm judged on winning. And that is, it's his business. It's a performance business. And, and ultimately they do have to win something. That is how they're going to be judged by the French public. And that's what he wants to deliver. Look, I think they will. Like, Give them the Six Nations. They're not going to be far away. If not the Six Nations, the next, the World Cup around the corner. So like you mentioned, there's only one bit of silverware in the Northern Hemisphere that is the Six Nations. He's got a chance coming around the corner. And as I said, you would not bet against the setup winning uh, come February, March. Right. It's about time we did our meter moment of the week, isn't it? So do you want to talk us through it, Johnny? Very easy, Tim. It is the performance of Cameron Walkie for Bordeaux against Toulouse. First time they managed to beat them in five games on the sixth attempt. Uh, so huge for the club, but he was phenomenal. Again, work on the deck, line-out time, scrapping defensively. He was absolutely everywhere and probably now one of the best hybrid second row back rowers in the world. So our meter moment of the week was the win for Bordeaux and the performance by Cameron Walkie. And that also had the sale of approval from Sean Edwards as well, so it must be good. <laughs> exactly. That was Johnny's meter moment of the week, endorsed by Sean Edwards. And meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer, and they've made over 9 million cooks better with their revolutionary app as well. So it's no surprise their users are growing rapidly every day. If you've ever said your pork or turkey's dry, then meter is for you. 
and you can use it on a barbecue, in the oven, or in a pan. Enter a whole new world of cooking and join the Metaverse at meter.com. Just use the code FRENCHPOD10 at checkout for 10% off any full price item as well. Let's have a look ahead to the start of the Champions Cup now then. And Bordeaux Leicester stands out a mile off as the, the game of the round, doesn't it? It does. Uh, the top of the top 14 versus the top of the Prem. Uh, two teams that are absolutely flying. And again, it's kind of a winner takes all because Lanethi they've already forfeited their first game to Bristol. So they've given up 28-0 um, to Bristol. But look, two teams that are stringing together some seriously good rugby. A huge game uh, this weekend in Bordeaux. And will Leicester have the edge because Mathieu Jalabert is going to be missing for Bordeaux? Potentially. I don't want to criticise my old mate Francois Tranduc, <laughs> who, um, <laughs> who, um, who played the week previously and didn't have his best first half of rugby against Racing uh, two weekends ago. Um, but look, he's, he's highly accomplished. And when he's on form, he's still one of the best in the top 14. So you're looking for a substitute to come in when Francois is on form. Um, there's not too much of a difference in levels that he can get to. Look, generally, and again with Bordeaux, it's not about individuals. It's more their systems. It's the Urios way. It is turgid. It is pragmatic. It can sometimes be boring, but sometimes they can blow teams wide open. So um, they did at the weekend against Toulouse. Um, it's going to be a step up potentially and a different way of playing against Leicester who are oops, super duper organised and structured. And again, as you mentioned, playing some seriously entertaining stuff. Definitely the game that stands out, the game of the weekend um, and there could be some absolute fireworks. That is a huge one coming up this weekend. And Bordeaux will be expecting to reach the knockout stages and looking at the fixtures, I think most people will be expecting last season's finalists, Toulouse and La Rochelle. To do the same and also probably be highly seeded. To lose with the start they're going to get. We're learning that Cardiff are having to put out a team with, yes, some internationals that are getting back, but mainly academy players and semi-pros that they're bringing in from the Welsh Premiership. So that is going to be extremely hard for Cardiff. Um, and the ideal start for Toulouse, who still missing a couple of players, but that'll be a massive shot in the arm to pick up some points on the road away in Cardiff. And yeah, for La Rochelle, again, you got to think their hardest game is going to be against Glasgow this weekend. They play Glasgow home and away. Bath, who've lost all 10 games in all competitions so far this season, have been a disaster. So you'd expect those three, you'd expect Bordeaux, Toulouse and La Rochelle to be up there or there or thereabouts in knockout time. Absolutely. Johnny Gibbs obviously reached the final with La Rochelle last season. Is he going to have Claremont challenging or is it too soon for them? Genuinely, I think it's going to be it's going to be harder. I think the calibre of opposition they have as well. Ulster, again, decent team. They're there or thereabouts every single year. Sale Sharks as well. Some serious quality in that squad. So you just don't know what you're going to get. Hard game going away to both of those sides. Um, Clermont and Ulster very well from games played previously. The way they're going a little bit more inconsistently than other sides in the top 14, maybe a little bit too early. But again, they still have the quality within their squad and their ranks. You just never know what's going to happen. You've got Morgan Parra, Camille Lopez looking to finish on a high with the club. It's knockout rugby if they can get there. So who knows? Racing have reached a few finals in recent years, but they're not in great form and heading to Northampton are playing some pretty expansive rugby at the moment. Yeah. Look, again, I would back Racing to beat Northampton in Paris. Their first game's away in Northampton and again some of the attack like you said that Northampton we putting together has been top drawer so that's going to be a tough fixture for them first up you'd back them again to beat the Ospreys home and away you should think on the on the quality of the two squads that they've got on paper but Racing just haven't been functioning that backline they've got if they get them together and they fire and they generate a platform they'll beat anybody with Vakatawa Fiku and Finn Russell but again it's been up front they've been battling it's scrum time Census Johnson's been working away with them they're bringing in players from South Africa um, on three and a half year deals to try and shore up that area of the field so 
if they can get there, it's knockout rugby, you never know, but you just think they may be lack the strength up front uh, and they just don't have the grunt this season. And Stade Francais fancy their chances of making the knockouts as well, won't they? Because Connor and Bristol on the agenda for them. I don't know that. Forget Again, for me, that entirely depends how seriously they take this competition. I think they will genuinely feel that they've got one-on relegation. So it depends what 23 they stick out in their first games. Connor, you would expect them to beat home and away. Bristol, again, haven't been performing at the levels that we're used to seeing them, but Pat Lamb, for me, is one of the best coaches in the Northern Hemisphere. I don't think that they will stay on that level for long, but it comes back to what kind of team will Stade Francais stick out? How seriously will they take this competition? Will they want to progress? That's the other thing, because the top 14 is their meat and drink. They need to stay there. They need to need to retain their place in the top 14. I think that my gut is, if I was them, that's what I'd be focusing on. But again, if they get through against Connacht and Bristol, you never know. But for me, I know that Gonzalo Caseda, under the pressure that he is under, will be looking to ensure that they survive before they look to thrive in a Champions Cup rugby. The cast have got a tough draw with games against Quinns and Munster. Montpellier have really drawn the short straw with Exeter and Leinster. So are those two going to struggle? Yeah, I'd say so. I'm doing the, the cast Quinns game for BT Sport this weekend, so it'll be good to be in the stadium and get to watch the game live. But you get the feeling, like you mentioned, with that calibre of opposition, Exeter and Leinster are so hard to play against previous winners. Quinns, Premiership winners, Munster, know this competition inside out. You just think that it might just be a step too far for those two sides, yeah. And before we go, there's been even more transfer activity in the top 14, hasn't there? There is every week, so what's going on? It's the game of musical chairs towards the end of the season. And this time it's the 10s. So Anthony Bello has announced he's going from Toulon to Clermont, which is a big move for him, replacing Cami Lopez. So Cami Lopez had signed a pre-contract with Biarritz. So it looks like he's going back on that and signing for local rivals Bayonne. And Ihaya West will be taking Anthony Bello's spot at Toulon. So big move for him. He signed three years at Toulon. Uh, and again, he's been outstanding for um, for La Rochelle the past couple of seasons. So great to see him staying in the top 14. Teddy Thomas as well as announced he's off to La Rochelle on a three-year deal, which is massive. Again, the strike rate and the amount of tries he scored for Racing 92, um, a really impressive strike rate. So another big addition for Ron O'Gara, joining his mate Jonathan Dante as well. So uh, a new strike player for Ron O'Gara and the boys at La Rochelle. Thanks, Johnny. A massive thanks to Sean Edwards as well for joining us. And thanks to all you guys for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe and leave us a nice review if you can as well. Check us out on Rugby Pass and on YouTube. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, Johnny. Cheers, Tim. Bye.